listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 242. Hey, Mark. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. We've got so much going on in the world right now. Between Afghanistan and uh, Hurricane Ida, yeah, uh, my heart's pretty broken for everyone. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, I do want to give a big shout-out to our partner, uh, United Airlines. So one of the things I think is really cool is all this stuff is going on in Afghanistan. You see all the newsreels about the military um, evacuating people. I do want to give a big shout out to our partner, United Airlines. You've been seeing on TV how the military's been evacuating people like crazy. What you may not know is a lot of private companies are also evacuating the citizens uh, and the refugees from Afghanistan, including United Airlines. So far, they've managed to pull out 1,500 people, but you don't see that in the news. So big shout out to United Airlines, their crews, their employees, the families for doing something that's a bit risky, but it was the right thing for them to do. So they're right. helping get people out of there. Yeah. Um, just keep our fingers crossed from everybody out there. And we also had lost some servicemen just recently. So a quick moment of silence for Afghanistan and also for the U.S. Marines and seamen and soldiers that we've lost uh, um, just recently. All right, let's get into news stories, Paige. All right, so uh, oil and gas companies evacuate employees slash production ahead of a Hurricane Ida. Yeah, they learned their lesson in Katrina. Um, so everybody's uh, has uh, um, you know has shut down the wells. Um, you're, we're looking at about 1.6 million barrels of production that that are offline right now. Uh, uh, the hurricanes just made it through the Gulf. Um, there's a bunch of rumors floating around. Um, that that I just want to type try to qualify here. So one that's going around right now is that the Shell's more platform has um, become um, unmoored and is now floating around. That is not true. Just heard from the Coast Guard that the Shell's more platform is in uh, is in uh, three thousand feet of water, properly moored down. Same way with the Ursula and the Olympics floating platforms. So all the platforms are in place. I did hear that there might have been a noble drilling boat that capsized. Luckily, all those people were safe. I don't, there were some injuries, but I think they were minor. So it looks like the, at least what's uh, happening so far is uh, at least the, the operators in the Gulf of Mexico, like everybody's safe, looks like most of the production that's offline will come back online. The biggest thing, Paige, now is what refineries are down in the Gulf Coast and right. which ones can be brought back up. And we'll report on that as soon as we have some information on that. Yeah, it's still early. I mean, uh, you know, we woke up to this catastrophe today. So, um, yeah. All right. So the next article is OTC ends with organization. With organizers declining to disclose attendance numbers. Yeah, this has never happened. Yeah, in, in, I know. In the entire history of OTC, this has never happened. They've been doing this over 50 years. I've been going for at least 20, if not 25, or maybe even longer. I've never had this happen. Now, they're saying the reason they're not going to disclose numbers is they don't want an unfair comparison with previous years. But we all know it's not going to be a fair comparison because previous years didn't have to deal with COVID and the pandemic. Right. Um, originally heading into OTC, um, you know, it was expected about 30,000 people to show up. But Paige, you and I went. There that, is no. no way. Well, let me tell you, Mark, you know, I, I brought the production crew. It's their first time ever to, to, getting to attend OTC. So it was, you know, 
I was really excited for them, and they were excited too. And we walked the floor um, in 45 minutes about three times. Yeah, and what was different is I've never seen this before. So obviously the um, the number of uh, exhibitors was much smaller, but you had exhibitors that pulled out last minute. We're going to get that a little bit later in the show. And what they did is they just left their empty booth space. So Paige, to me, it almost looked like the slums, right? Yeah. So you're walking the show floor, and all of a sudden there's this huge place where you know there should be a booth, and there's nothing. Yeah. Right? And so I've never seen blank booth space at OTC. Well, not only that, Mark, I parked right by energy center normally you would have to park all the way on the other side of the park walk around the astrodome over to the center but that was not the case at all yeah so um you know we love the conference i've been saying for years that the value that otc drives has diminished every year um i think 2020 uh, sped that up and now the 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 people that put on otc are gonna have to sit down and put some thought to what do they need to do to revitalize this conference now's a good time to do it right we're gonna come out of COVID. otc next year should be back to its normal uh, early may dates uh, we got plenty of time to revamp this conference i love otc um, but it was just, it was very disappointing to see the turn. I mean, I was extremely disappointed in the turnout yeah. that I saw. Yeah. Uh, so on to that, Slumberjay withdraws from Major Oil Conference. Yeah. So, of course, we're talking about OTC. Slumberjay pulled out OTC last minute. I've heard that was a million-dollar decision that they that they made to pull out last minute. They did it for the health of their people. Yeah. Um, Halliburton was interesting. They had virtual booths online instead of actually being there. Same with Saudi Aramco, Flora McDermott. Uh, one of our partners, um, Cognite, also pulled out last minute, once again, for the safety of their people. I don't fault any company for pulling out especially no. knowing how much money they're going to lose where they yeah. put their people's safety first. But once again, to my earlier point, you know, this is, this is the chance for OTC and the organizing committees, the API and SPEs, they're right to come back and let's revamp this conference. I actually reached out to the head of OTC and she accepted my LinkedIn connection. I'm going to end up having a conversation with her. Cause I, 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 there's so much potential there. If we can just, do things that attract a younger crowd, this new younger workforce, yeah. make it valuable for them. We could bring this thing back with a bang. But, um, you know, uh, several large companies pulled out last minute OTC, which is not good for OTC. It's also not good for any of the large uh, international conferences. We have Adipec coming up. We have the World Petroleum Congress actually could be back in Houston for the first time, I think, in 15 years yeah. in this December. And so they all have eyes on what these companies are doing because if the companies won't participate in the large multinational conferences, then you're not going to have attendees. And then the conference is going to disappear. Yeah, and I remember discussing that with uh, Mayor Turner. Yeah, that's right. When we uh, Wait, before, the day before Harvey before hit. Harvey hit. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Which, so. by the way, if you um, if you want to see something really funny, you have to go to the OGG and YouTube channel and search around. But oh, whenever I gave him the giggles. <laughs> well, no, he he caught the giggles and then I caught it. <laughs> so all it is a short video of the mayor of Houston and Paige laughing so hard they can't talk. Eight hours before a major disaster smacks the city. Yeah. It was yeah. good times. So I tell you what, um, not always a fan of, of Mayor Turner's party. I like the guy. He was a really good guy. You yeah. Know? So um, yeah, that YouTube video is out there somewhere. It's a good interview. Yeah. What's next? Uh, to, uh, 2021 NAPE Summit, top energy uh, industry trends. I had fun at NAPE. Um, it was a, it was a, a little better than OTC, in my opinion. Um, everything was really spaced out. Uh, met some fans that have written in, so that was really cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. So um, I made the f 
icebreaker for Nape. I didn't actually make Nape itself. Um, but but from what I've heard, it was a really good turnout. The energy was high. Not as big as it normally is, but yeah. that's to be expected. The energy was high. The one thing I heard about Nape is almost all the after parties were ca- canceled. What, what I, heard, I saw some of them. They just weren't as big as I think they were hoping them to be. Yeah. It, uh, what somebody should have done if they were smart is capitalize that and, and start advertising all the other Nate parties are shut down so my party's still open. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody did. I don't know. But a couple cool things came out of that conference. And if you don't know what Nate is, the North American Prospect Expo, it's one of my favorite conferences. They do it twice a year because everybody that's showing up at that conference is either going to buy something or sell something. Right. And hundreds of millions of dollars exchange hand during these conferences. And one of the things that they came up here is um, they actually partnered with OTC, right? So they had them about the same time. There was passes where you go to both conferences. That's new for both of them because they both knew they were going to have decline in attendance. So one of the things that Nate did is they surveyed their members and they came up with the top 10 energy trends from the Nate summit itself. So it's actually stuff we've probably talked about before. It all makes total sense to me. But number one, ENPs are showing more financial discipline for now because they have to. That you know, it used to be investors threw money at them for growth. Now investors want to return on their money, which is the right thing to do. Number two, technology innovations gaining traction. Uh, listen to our digital doer show, our tech show, if you want to hear about all the cool tech that's coming into oil and gas. That's been happening for a long time. And the other thing I think is interesting about this is a lot of people naturally assume the oil and gas industry isn't high tech. Darn it, we were high-tech before tech was cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, number three, addressing the labor gap. You've heard me talk about this a million times. We're facing a, labor, a talent shortage of epic proportions. Here at NAEP, they say they lost about 100,000 jobs in the U.S., and more than half of those jobs are not going to be able to hire back. And then all demand is rebounding, which we know it's great uh, that the, the, the oversupply is just about gone. Prices are going up. Keep your fingers crossed to see what OPEC and Russia does. Uh, encouraging natural gas economics. We've talked about that before. Renewables are finding their place in energy mix, of course. there's For the first time ever, there was a renewable section at NAEP. I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And then um, remote work because of COVID. Uh, oil and gas prices continue to strengthen, and M&A activity is going up. And then finally, the energy transition in ESG. So some really cool uh, research, localized research came out of NAEP. Uh, if you want to read all this, and, and it's actually a very interesting read, the link's in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, what was really cool about the conference, they did have people that uh, that pulled out the last minute as well. I think EOG Resources was one of them. But um, they had Kroger there handing out vaccinations. So Kroger the grocery store was vaccinating the gro- people? Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Right? You don't usually see Kroger at Well, Nate. I was really confused until I made it to the other side and everybody explained it to me at the other booth. So I was like, wow, I didn't, I never, I never even thought I would ever see that. Yeah. And so think about that and, you know, pat on the back for Kroger. So most of the people that saw Kroger there don't live here, don't live in Houston. Right. They may live in an area where there's no Kroger, but Kroger's spending its time and money and resources to give away the vaccine in a group setting like that where they could have maximum impact. So Kroger, thank you. That was cool. Yeah. All right, so the next article is Biden may reduce biofuel quotas. Oh, please, God. Can we just make this darn thing go away? And the fact that there's even the chance they may reduce biofuel quotas is amazing for this administration. So you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, We have this thing in the U.S. It's a biofuel mandate, uh, part of that's based off the renewable fuel standards. And basically, the U.S. government subsidizes corn farmers to grow extra corn that we then malt uh, we ferment it, distill it, and make ethanol, which is the same alcohol you drink, right? And and they've taken that, and they and the 
oil and gas companies, the Chevrons and the Valeros and the Pomexes and the Exxons of the world, by law, have to buy that ethanol mixed with gasoline. When you go to the gas station, you'll see on the side of the pump, it'll tell you what percentage of ethanol is there. Ethanol is not good for your car, right? So this is like somebody, it's like the government making you buy your competitor's product is what it is. And so we've been needing to get rid of this forever. Um, it's an artificial ecosystem. Um, the only person that benefits are the people that are able to sell those renewable fuel credits back to the refineries and refineries have to buy them. And so just the fact that our current administration is thinking about not raising the standards, not making that percentage of ethanol go up, but actually keeping it the same or even going backwards is enormous. It's what needs to happen. Um, you know, if the free market supports ethanol, that's great. And I know I'm going to have a thousand of y'all reach out to me going, what about Brazil? The difference in Brazil is they don't have to malt. So in Brazil, they have sugarcane. They, they go straight from squeezing the sugarcane and getting the sugary water to fermentation. Here in the U.S., we don't do it. We have corn. Corn does not have sugar in it. What you have to do is let the corn dry out. You have to wet it, and it sprouts. That converts the carbs to sugars, and you can ferment. That extra step takes gazillions of tons of water and adds cost. So ethanol is not a viable fair market competitor to hydrocarbons here in the U.S., Works in Brazil because the climate's different. But anyway, this is just a cool offer, um, article about how our current administration is looking at not upping the renewable fuel standards, which is great. Um, if we can just make these biofuel qu quotas go away, which probably won't happen anytime soon, but it's just nice to see they're not upping them. So California is building temporary gas plants, Mark. No way. Why would California need an electrical generation plant run on natural gas? Oh, <laughs> I see why. You've gotten rid of all your electrical generation, replaced the renewables, and all of a sudden it's hot and you can't you don't have enough electricity to power the state. And so people don't have air conditioned and they can't charge their Teslas. Darn it's a shame. So uh, <laughs> tell me how you really feel, Mark. <laughs> so um <laughs> You can't be more hip, hypocritic in this, and it's, it's actually funny. And I hate to say this, I I love California. It's it's probably some of the most beautiful geography in the world, especially Northern California. Except for the part that's on fire. Except for the part that's on fire. Why can't? Why is it on fire? Oh, they don't follow good foresting standards. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, um, so the California Department of Water Resources, and, and this is an interesting. You need to understand. So, which department is doing this? The California Department of Water resources is buying five gas fueled generating plants to provide electricity that the the the, the grid uh, cannot get from uh, the current generation of electricity in california hmm. so read between the lines and none of wind none of solar they got to bring natural gas back in now guess what state is starting to try to ban the use of natural gas california california <laughs> so the, Didn't we cover that like a month ago? Yeah. So the reason it's the, the California Department of Water Resources doing this is because the California Department of Water Resources is considered critical, and so they can buy stuff that breaks the law if it's considered if it's um, critical to the state of California. So <sighs> here's California making laws that they can't have any more natural gas fired power plants. All of a sudden, they don't have enough electricity. They're, the 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 state's inhabitants are hot. They don't have pumps to put the water, the fires on. I'm making that part out, people. I just couldn't. Have oh, to come on! <laughs> and so they have to find a way around their own legalese so they can actually go buy these plants. And this is exactly what, what's happening. Um, this historic drought that California is going through right now doesn't help anything. Um, and so Newsom needs to go, man. Well, I, I, you know, love you, Californians. Just don't move here. <laughs> Oklahoma is open, y'all. <laughs> Oklahoma is always open. <laughs> 
All right. So API updates pipeline cybersecurity standard. So what's cool about this, if you read through it, um, it's, it's, it's a good article if you're, if you're into the business side of cybersecurity. Um, but they said that they've been working on this for uh, seven years. And I'm thinking, that Colonial Pipeline hack a few months ago didn't have anything to do with this, did it? <laughs> mm. So basically, uh, if, you, if you don't know, our pipelines are considered uh, critical infrastructure by the U.S. government because uh, we have to have a way to fuel our war machine if it ever gets that bad. Plus, you're seeing things happen with natural disasters where people need fuel for their cars. Uh, generators and all that sort of stuff. And so what happens is API has looked into the hacks that's happened recently. They've put together a hit team of, of, of IT security experts, some government experts, um, and then they've, they've come up with these recommendations, these standards, if you will, uh, for cybersecurity around pipelines. And if you don't know who API is, American Petroleum Institute, they set the standards for almost everything there is offshore. If you go offshore and wash your hands, that soap has met some type of API standard. I, I can't tell you how many binders of recommended practices I had in my yep. office. Yep. And I still have some, but they're probably a little outdated. But. Yeah, I always think of API recommended practice 75, which is what was a direct result of the Macondo disaster. Right. And thank goodness the government went with the, the group API instead of their own yeah, <laughs> regulations. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, this, this is good work. It took them a while to get there. I, I do think it's cool they act like the pipeline uh, hacks that happened uh, just recently had nothing to do with this. But um, this is something that the API needs to do. And this is something we have talked about earlier where I don't want the government stepping in around cybersecurity. I want private groups like API to work with government experts and come up with best practices for the pipeline, guys, which is exactly what this is. What's next? Uh, will Afghanistan situation have bearing on global oil prices? So this is interesting. So Afghanistan, of course, produces zero hydrocarbons, right? They, right. The poor country can't produce much of anything, can't even feed itself. Uh, you see what's going on with American withdrawal. Um, I, I don't want to go down that route. I could literally spend three hours talking about what's wrong with all of that. Um, but what's interesting about this is you don't think Afghanistan would have – whatever's going on in Afghanistan politically – would have zero effect on the price of oil. But that is not true. And the reason it's not true is you have to be really careful about the Taliban. So if 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 things roll back in Afghanistan um, like it was before, before the U.S. and Russia got involved, what's going to happen is Taliban's going to rule the country, right? It's a, a religious rule of law. And what they do is they, they support... Uh, fundamentalist extremists think terrorists. And that's the easiest way to say it. And so, what's going to happen is, you know, those car, those comp, comp, countries in the Middle East and North Africa and and Central Asia that produce hydrocarbons, they have their share of Islamic fundamentalists that they don't like either of terrorists, right? And so, what's going to happen is now the Taliban's going to give these terrorists a home, right? That eventually, I think, will drive up oil prices. Now you're looking at. A higher risk in the Middle East and North Africa, um, that higher risk equates to cost. And I think that cost will trickle its way down to the consumer, which is us. Now, I'm not complaining about higher oil prices. Um, I haven't checked today, but we've been in a good place for this entire year. And so, you know, if it creeps up a little bit because what's going on in Afghanistan, is, it's not a bad thing. What I don't want to have happen is for Afghanistan to become the the cesspool of terrorism like it was before. And then we have a hard time, you know, all the countries in the world have a hard time dealing with it. There's uh, atrocities against humanity that happens. I just, you know, uh, and unfortunately, actually, I'm probably in this right now because if I go any further down here, I'm going to dig into our politics and everything else, which I really just don't want to do on the show. But, but absolutely, what's going on in Afghanistan looks like I think it will affect global oil prices, and I think it will actually drive them up a bit. 
Okay. So the next article is the world's newest oil countries are racing to exploit reserves. So let's see if we can pronounce these countries properly. Okay. Everybody read along with me. (laughs) (laughs) Read along. Guyana, Suriname, and Ghana. (laughs) Guyana and Ghana is the two always get mixed up. Anyway. Huge recoverable reserves. You've seen it all in the news. Exxon, well, Exxon and Total have played a lot of part, and Shell actually, in finding these reserves. And so what they want to do is they, they want to make money off it. And I don't blame them. It's their reserves. It's in their country. Um, you know, with a little bit of help from the, the Western world, they, they're able to recover these reserves, make some money, use that money to uh, elevate their population, build roads and schools and, you know, hospitals and all that sort of stuff. Now, here's where it's really funny. Other countries, other countries are telling them to leave it in the ground for environmental reasons. Other countries who have already went through their industrial revolution, who forget about oil. Other countries who used to kill whales to make sure they lit their homes. Yeah. Who, burn, who still burn coal, right? Are, is telling these countries, oh, no, don't tap into your oil reserves. It's not good for the environment. And look, number one, you can absolutely um, extract refine and use hydrocarbons 100% environmentally responsibly. Number two, all you other countries, how dare you? Don't tell them what to do. It's theirs. Yeah, it's theirs. Let them go through their industrial revolution. Let them enjoy the same prosperity that we uh, enjoy here in Europe. Let them have the Burger Kings pop up, right? Let them be able to feed their family. Let them be able to have work from home jobs. Let them be able to have air conditioning, dishwashers, you know, cars. And so... um, they just this, need to mind their business. They, they absolutely need to mind their business. And I, this is great for all the countries. You know, this is something I've been talking about for years, how as we move t- through time, more and more countries will be brought up to the Western c- civilization level of life, and it's good for everybody. It's prosperity, right? And so this is just another example of how that's happening. And it's also another example of how it's happening based upon cheap, reliable, abundant energy. And where do you get cheap, reliable, abundant energy, California? <laughs> <laughs> Hydrocarbons. <laughs> Next one. <laughs> Woodside and BHP to create a global energy company. Yeah, I can't figure out if this is a play for the unconventionals or play for LNG because both of them have assets in both places. Um, definitely the size of this company is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's given them a lot of scope as far as like um, supply chain, um, you know, uh, ability to operate in different countries, uh, diversity, uh, different markets. And so, I, I, I this was we knew this was going to happen. We talked about mergers and acquisitions a, a, a bit before. Um, the, the nice thing about this merger is you have two companies, neither one of which really function well in unconventionals, but together I think they actually can. And then with their assets in LNG, it's crazy. So I think what's going to happen this new company, it's it's um, its core revenue stream is going to be LNG. I don't I have no doubt about that. But I think they're going to be able to come back to the unconventional. Think of the shell plays, and I think they're going to be able to leverage their combined expertise and experience and actually compete with the, you know, the the chevrons of the world and the uh, you know XTOs and all that stuff in the unconventionals. And with the new company's global reach, they can actually bring that unconventional expertise and. Um, to other countries. You know, that shell geology that you hear about so much here in the U.S. is not just here in the U.S. It's all over the world. It's right. everywhere. It's just the the ability and the infrastructure isn't there to get those hydrocarbons off the ground um, where it makes economic sense. Now, the other thing is this was a sh- uh, share-only uh, uh, acquisition or, or merger, uh, which means both companies are sitting on a lot of cash. They have almost no debt. So they're in a very strong position. So um, let's watch this thing go through. It's, it, I, don't see any, I don't see any reason why it won't go through. And let's pay attention to what the new company does when it comes out. 
Okay, so BP pairs agile mindset with technology and its energy transition. So this is a very interesting article. I read it twice because I, I, I didn't quite understand what was really going on until the second time I read through this. So BP is absolutely in this uh, ESG uh, energy transition. They're right smack in the middle of it, right? Um, a couple of super majors have totally bought into this, totally embraced it. They're one of them. Um, the interesting thing is by using by driving efficiencies with Agile, and Agile is a methodology um, that I believe it was invented in software. Uh, we run Agile here, Paige, even though you don't know it. Uh, you, you probably call it craziness. But what Agile is basically is you, you, you work on something for a short period of time. It's called a sprint. Uh-huh. And then you stop and you evaluate the results. Uh-huh. So think about every time we launch a show, everybody's all crazy. Everybody's working on one show, get it launched, hurry up, get it launched. And then once we launch it, we stop and we learn what we did well and what we didn't do well. And we apply that to the next show that we launch. Right. That's agile methodology as opposed to waterfall methodology where you just keep going forever. You don't stop and evaluate. You don't run sprints. You just do a little bit of work every day. And so what's interesting about this by um, – and, and agile methodology is well entrenched in the IT world. It's also pretty well entrenched in the project management world. What's cool about this is what they discovered is as far as being green and their impact in the environment, in their hydrocarbon operations, if they can just drive more efficiency, so less gas needs to be flared, less fugitive emissions, more effective generator sets, more effective building insulation, they actually can reduce their carbon footprint without having to worry about the money they dump into renewables, carbon offset, carbon credits, all that sort of stuff, just by driving efficiency. I love this article. This this is not just something that applies to companies. It applies to people. You know, um, I fully support uh, green energy. You know this. I love renewables. I love solar. I love wind and everything. But I'm not going to change my lifestyle. So if if I need to uh, buy a house that uses less electricity because I want my house to be 100% renewable, I am not going to do that. Yeah. Right? I'm going to live the lifestyle that I worked really hard to live. Right. Well, now, basically what they're saying is you can do both. If you drive those efficiencies, you can have that same impact by moving to a smaller house, less electricity, but you keep living like this. And I just, I just think it's great. I, um, you know, we'll, we, it's the skill sets that you need to drive efficiencies are the same whether you drive efficiencies in a race car, into a candy operation, or into how you impact the environment. So good job, EP. All right. So that was the last one. That was the last one. Yep, sure was. Did we talk about those free passes yet from the Canon? Uh, no, but you sure can. So if you're in Houston and you want to see the coolest co-working space in in Texas, at least, maybe in the U.S., maybe, maybe, maybe even the world. Okay. Go check, go check out the Canon. Uh, it's where we host all of our events here in Houston. We're partners with them. It's also we where had we had sh- a fantastic happy hour. We did have a fantastic week. happy hour, and we're going to have a fantastic happy hour at the end of every month. All the way through 2023 because I've sold them all. <laughs> They're at the Canon. But the Canon's doing something really cool for our listeners. If you want to go place to work, like you need a place just to get away from your wives or your boss or whatever, all you got to do is walk up to the front. Or your husband. Or your husband. or Yeah. All you do is walk up to the front desk, say that you're with OGGN, and they will give you a free desk pass. So you have a, you can go co-work there for free. No strings attached. They won't even try to sell you anything. That's cool. So if you want a cool, cool place to go work and you're here in Houston, go check out the Canon. Love those people. Speaking of loving the people, IBM t-shirts. We, we have some some stuff going back and forth. Um, I've had I've asked y'all before, do y'all want us to keep the t-shirts as the giveaway? Do you want us to do something different? And I've had quite a few people reach out saying we want to do something different, but they none of them said what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't tell me you just want to do something different. So audience, if you'd like us to give away something other than these t-shirts, let me know. But 
also let me know what you'd like us to give away. Yeah, you can't just be like, yeah, no. Because yeah. what I want to do is get two or three things that we all agree upon to be cool to give away, and then we'll let the audience vote, and that's what we'll, we'll give away for, for the next that's, round. Works for me. Uh, speaking of working for you, what's a week, weekly rig count? <laughs> so in the U.S., the uh, count is up 5 to 508. Canada is down 9 at 147. And internationally, we're down 7 at 751. Okay. So not too terrible. Not too terrible. I mean, it's way up from last year. So. Yeah. Speaking of way up, our, our street team, it is way up from last year. Yes, uh, it is, actually. Big shout out to Brian Mon, who has base, who stepped in and... and made order out of chaos yes <laughs> because of brian's job <laughs> he doesn't have time to keep doing that so we're looking for a new leader for that team i think i've identified who it is yet who it is i don't, I don't have it confirmed yet so if you want to volunteer some time and run a group of rebels <laughs> let me know they're the great great times it's it's you know a few hours of work a week um, but and if not don't worry about that either but you should absolutely join the street team yeah so ludwig I don't know if you got your stuff yet by the time you hear this, but we have a street team member in the Netherlands, and we just sent him his street team stickers. Now this means that all the other street team leaders are going to want their stickers too, so we yes. can get those out. Yeah. Um, but but it's our all-volunteer group. We do some really cool stuff. We have some amazing stuff coming up. Paige, um, you know, Dean Murphy and his student outreach group and the street team, they're, they're reading pro oil and gas books to elementary kids. I know. Incredible. It's great. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, audience, I need some help with that. So if you like the idea of us volunteering our time, going to elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools, and teaching pro oil and gas science and literature, let me know. What I'm looking for is budget. We bought these books out of our pocket. I don't mind doing that, but in order for me to scale, I need some more money to buy more pro oil and gas books. We have the books identified. We have the schools agreeing for our people to come in and read to elementary kids. The middle schools agreeing for us coming in and teaching them geology using Jello, which is awesome. And the high school kids agreeing, agreeing for us coming in and showing them big data sets of how the oil and gas industry works. But I need a little bit of help. And if you want to help us, reach out to our world's young people and start changing this negative public perception theme that we've been on. Please let me know. Oh, and didn't we launch a, po a podcast last week? A new show, Mark? We did launch a new podcast last week. I mean, I feel like this is happening like every other month. <laughs> it's our Low Carbon Solutions podcast. With Joe Butcher? With Joe. Joe is incredible. He he has such a dry sense of humor that sometimes you're not sure if he's being funny or not. Trust oh, me, it's my favorite. He's being funny. <laughs> Super intelligent. Great guy. Uh Shows out, go listen to it. We'll put a link in the show notes. And it's not, and I've gotten some pushback on this. It's not, um, it's not a renewable show. It is a show about low carbon solutions. You've already gotten pushback? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Whether uh, that low carbon solution river. is something to do with hydrocarbons or something to do with geothermal or something to do with wind, it doesn't matter. We're just talking low carbon solution. Good show. Go check it out. Speaking of go checking stuff out, um, we are starting to book up with speaking gigs like in person. Um, so if you're like myself or any of our experts come to your conference, your trade show, we're getting toward the end of the year. So your sales leaders, marketing leaders, think about your kickoff next year. I uh, would love to come out there. It's loads of fun. People always enjoy it. Reach out to me. Be happy to share the details. And then first Friday Q&A, you know the drill. Uh, you write in a question. If we use your question on the air, you get a big shout out. Um, the goal is to help educate your peers, um, and you go to both uh, oilandgasthisweek.com or OGGN either way, and there's both places you can submit your questions. We got a lot of questions last time. We yeah, that was a lot of, of fun. Questions. Actually, I was speaking to a bunch of people at the, the happy hour, and I think they really love 
they love first Friday Q and A more than more than some of the stuff. Yeah, it's um I've got, had a lot of people ask me if we could do just a first Friday Q and A show. Yeah, and I sort of like the idea. The problem is we don't quite have enough questions coming. Out. I know ever, it looks like we do. Yeah, but that's like after a month. After a month, right? Yeah. Um, and shout out to Brendan Webb for for. Uh, I know Brendan. Suggest- yeah, for uh, suggesting so. So. Yeah. We also have people wanting us to do a daily show, and I go, do you have any idea what how much work that is to actually try to pull off a daily show? I don't have time for that. I'm looking into it. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. I, I am looking it into looks it. Like I, it looks like I have time now. <laughs> is this a good time, to, good place to end this? Yeah, I think so. All right. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.